Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your guest co-host, Top 15 UFC flyweight Cody Durden. Today, we're going to talk about UFC 292, Aljamain Sterling versus Sean O'Malley. And Cody, it's going down this Saturday live at the TD Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. You got Aljamain Sterling attempting to break the record for most title defenses in Bantamweight history, taking on Sean O'Malley, who's looking to become an absolute superstar by winning the belt. And uh, Cody, high stakes on the line in the Bantamweight division Saturday night. Yeah, I agree. You know, um, Sean O'Malley's a star. Al Jermaine's a dominant champion. So uh, I'm looking forward to watching these two scrap and see how it all turns out. 100%. Well, without further ado... Let's get right down to business because in the main event, we got the champ, Aljamain Sterling. He's 23 and three, taking on Sean O'Malley, who's 16 and one. And currently, they got it Aljamain Sterling minus 255. The comeback on Sean O'Malley is plus 215. So, this is a fight a long time in the making. I mean, I know you remember when Sean O'Malley won his fight on Contender Series and Snoop Dogg with the infamous O'Malley, you know, he went absolutely crazy. We missed the Snoop cast. And ever since then, O'Malley's done what's necessary to get him to this spot. And I know a lot of people have been talking about like, well, who's he really fought? Uh, he's fought two top five guys and one top 10 guy. Now, granted, he only won one of those fights, but still he, he fought Peter Yan. He fought Cheeto Vera. He fought Pedro Munoz. Those, that's some Stiff competition. Now, I know, granted, he only won one of those fights, and a lot of people thought that he actually might have lost that fight. But that's neither here nor there. When you have 3 million followers on Instagram and you have the kind of pull this man has and the exciting fighting style, they can make some concessions for you. They can make some exceptions. And, I mean, no one's arguing about this fight. It's here, it's now, and it's going down Saturday night. So, I mean, I think people understand the basics of this fight, striker versus grappler and... So if, to me, you know, it's easy to sit here and say, well, you know, Aljamain can take his back and choke him out, can take his back and pound him out. O'Malley can possibly get, you know, an early knockout. However, I think there's other paths to victory here as well. I think that one thing that O'Malley could do, another way he could win besides an early knockout is one thing you and I were talking about on the phone last week when we were watching Contender Series was how these guys – that cut massive weight, they might perform a certain way in the gym, but it might be a little bit different on fight day due to the excess amount of weight that they have to cut. And the reason I bring that up is because every single time we've seen Aljamain Sterling in the championship rounds, he tends to slow down. And it's not because the guy's not running his miles. It's not because the guy's not in shape. I mean, look at the look at the shape the guy's in. I mean, when you see the pictures of him, he's in the best shape of his life. It's because he's fucking massive. The guy cuts a ridiculous amount of weight. So that's why in the fourth and fifth round against Peter Yan and the fourth and fifth round against Henry Cejudo, you do start to see those weight cuts take their toll. And that's when you start to see um, Aljamain shoot those takedowns from a mile out. So for Suga to win this fight late, what he has to do is he has to survive early body triangle attempts. He has to get his back taken and be able to survive those spots. And if big if, but if he can survive that and get it to these championship rounds, I think there's a possibility he can get a late stoppage here. But the big question, Cody, and I don't know what happens when Sean O'Malley gets his back taken. I don't know if Sean O'Malley's a quick tapper. I don't know if Sean O'Malley's a Cody Durden that's willing to let his arm get broken for his ultimate goal. I have no idea 
what happens in those spots. That being said, I know what happens when Aljamain Sterling gets extended. Now, Jan and Cejudo weren't able to capitalize. Could a guy like O'Malley possibly capitalize down the line? That's a big question I have, Cody. Yeah, I mean, I think Aljamain Sterling, uh, you know, when he fought Pierre Jan, I think that he improved and came back and because he was getting dominated before he, you know, he, he got his acting award. And uh, I think overall, uh, he's gotten better on his feet and he's learned to pace himself uh, a lot more. You know, he shoots a lot of takedowns and, and I think that's going to be his key to victory. He don't, he doesn't necessarily get a lot of takedowns in, in his last few fights. I mean, I think he got four against Henry Cejudo, but he's attempted uh, in the last few fights way more than he's actually gotten. And, uh, you know, the pressure uh, along with uh, the wrestling, you know, Sean O'Malley's going to be, I think he's going to be timid on his feet because of the wrestling. And Aljamain's going to be in his face, you know, from bell to bell. But you're going to see, you know, a lot of clinches, a, a lot of grappling, uh, a lot of takedown attempts from Aljamain Sterling. But, you know, we have also saw Aljo get knocked out by Marlon Marias. So it's an interesting fight. Uh, but, my gut, my man, I want to see Sean O'Malley win, but I'll, also, I, I don't think he has what it takes to beat Sterling. Sterling's on a streak. He's, you know, he's trying to build his legacy. And uh, I think, I think this is a stylistic mat matchup where if Aljo can get the back or, or, you know, get the takedown, he may not submit him at first, but that's going to wear on O'Malley, the grappling exchanges. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Aljo cuts a lot of weight, though. So, interesting matchup. Um, of course, the fans and everyone wants to see Sean O'Malley rise to the top. But I'm going to have to pick Aljamain Sterling on this one. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, on the feet, one thing I like about Sterling's style is even though his striking is not the prettiest, actually it is kind of ugly when you compare it to Sean O'Malley, but the guy will throw with volume. You saw his fight against your teammate Pedro Munoz non-stop uh action whether it's those front kicks down the middle he, i mean look he does spam kind of his shots a little bit and like i said they aren't the prettiest but he's always throwing something so you got to give him credit for that now on the flip side of things if he's just throwing things here there is a chance he gets countered but there's also a chance that that threat of the takedown makes o'malley hesitant like you mentioned so that's kind of where I'm not sure what O'Malley's confidence is, you know, in terms of because he's saying that I can't let this guy grab me at all. Now, that sounds kind of to me like like shit, like it, if he does get grabbed, which we assume he will. Does that just mean that he's, you know, that he's just packing it in, that he's ready to go home? Or is this the kind of guy that can survive those early spots, survive those early back takes, fight the hands? you know, and wear out Aljo because, you know, that body triangle uh, takes a toll on your legs, too. It's not just O'Malley that's going to be drained. It's also Aljo, as you've seen in all his fights that have gone the championship rounds. So that's what's so intriguing to me. Is it truly a one back take and the fight is over shortly after situation? Or is it, listen, O'Malley's taken a full year off and he works with a guy in Tanquino Mendes, who's one of the best jujitsu guys in the world, a guy who actually fought Aljamain Sterling dropped Aljamain Sterling in their fight but man uh Aljo is just a completely different athlete to Tanquino Mendez and Aljo was able to wear him down you know as the fight progressed but 
training with a guy like that, it can only elevate your confidence. It's just, I, I don't know what happens. You know, is it going to be like the Sanhagen fight where he takes his back one time and that's all she wrote? Or is it, or can he actually ride this out? Like, you know, Peter Yan was, he, Peter Yan had to go through some shit, but Peter Yan was able to survive and get it to the championship rounds. And you and I were actually at that fight in Jacksonville. And it all came down to how you score round one was the interesting thing. Um, Sterling was super dominant in two and three. Peter clearly won four and five. How do you score round round one? Now, live, I thought Peter without a shadow of a doubt round uh, one round one. But then again, you know, we were in Jacksonville. I was partying, so maybe I didn't get the best view of it. When I rewatched it, I kind of go back and forth, and I can see cases for both. For you, how did you score round one of the Peter and uh, and uh, Sterling fight? Well, I thought I thought it was based on you know I thought. Um... Aljo, I mean, uh, I thought Sean O'Malley got more damage. I think I think the damage trumps uh, trumps it all. And uh, yeah, I just I just felt like he was landing the more cleaner shots, you know, landing at the end of his punches. And uh, either way you look at it, I think there's a case for both sides. And I think the judges that night were were scoring the fight based on damage. And uh, man, half the time these these fucking judges don't even know what they're looking at. You know, they're average people who, uh, you know, work in the lineman business or some shit. Like it's, it's crazy, man. But, uh, yeah, I, I would, I would have to say, I can agree with the, with Sean O'Malley beating Pieter Jan, but Pieter Jan, you know, he got some takedowns on him where Sean O'Malley was just clearly on his butt and clearly gave his backup just to stand back up. I think uh, Sean O'Malley needs to take the jiu-jitsu approach to getting back to his feet, feet on the hips, framing, and uh, getting his, his uh, other arm posted, you know, and, and kicking off. But do not give your backup to uh, Aljamain Sterling at all costs. If you do give your backup, the legs cannot come in because once he gets those legs in on you, it's going to be hard to get them off. Yeah, and listen, I do think that Sterling should be favored. It's just the question is, should he be minus 255? Now, he does have a path to not only look minus 255, but look minus 555, um, you know, if O'Malley has no answer when that back gets taken. But if, again, if O'Malley can stretch this out somehow, that's where all bets are off the table. So I'm very intrigued by this main event. I mean, I do have to lean towards Aljo and – I'm, but I am rooting just as a fan for O'Malley. And, and I know that we've given, we've given Sterling a lot of heat on this show, not just today, but in the past. I know that, you know, because of the way he won the belt and even prior to that, um, because his fighting style is not the prettiest. But, man, he's so effective. He's beat such high-level guys. He's on a very impressive streak, even though I didn't think he won the first Peter Yan fight. Um, and but forgive him. <laughs> listen i mean it, it, it's tough because it's like dollars you said what now i said do you forgive him though you're talking uh you know a hundred dollar a hundred thousand dollar difference at least and a belt so do you forgive him it wasn't his fault he got kneed in the head but we can all agree that he put on a hell of an acting job yeah i mean it, it's just like this i view it like this okay if justin gaethje was in the same situation would he have done that if Alex Pereira was in the same situation, would he have done that? Right. Like, like when we talk about the baddest motherfuckers, because uh, the last pay-per-view was the BMF card, the BMFs would never put on 
acting. Would Jamal Hill ever do something like that? Never. But as a normal human being who is not a fighter, which is what I am, I'm not a fighter. Yeah, of course I understand that, you know. And you you said a hundred thousand. I think it's a lot more than that. Yeah, maybe more than that. Probably a lot more than that. A lot more because we're talking pay per view points. Uh, we're talking about the champs bonus. I, I mean, because you know, main event fighters get X amount just for being in the main event, like a main event bonus. When you win the belt, back in the day, War on the Street was Lorenzo Fertitta used to come into uh, your hotel room and write you a million dollar check. But uh, I don't know what the deal is now. But like, there has to be some kind of champ bonus. Uh, so of course, of course, that uh, it was it was a huge swing. He wasn't gonna win that fight if he went back in there. So yeah. Of course, I understand. I, I think he made it right. You know, when they had the rematch, came back, dominated him, and uh, so, man, I can I can look past what he did. You know, because he 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 wrote his wrong. Everybody counted him out. He came back, dominated the fight. So, uh, yeah, no hard feelings towards him for that. But at first, I was like, what the hell? But I can see both sides. You know, I can I can see the side where. Uh, you know, I got this scar on my head right here. It happened to me, bro. Tennessee, I got the first round. I was down on one knee. The guy had me in a front headlock. And uh, I was clearly on, on my knees, both hands on the mat. He knees me straight in the face right here. Seven stitches. I still got this ugly scar. And uh, my coaches and, and everyone was like, stay down, stay down. You won the belt. You won the belt. And I jumped up. I said, fuck that. I'm getting that back. And uh, we finished the round out. And I ended up knocking him out in the second round. So until it happens to you, like it's happened to me, it's happened to Aljo Sterling, you know, you got to weigh what you have to lose and what you have to gain. You know, I put on an acting performance. I, I'm making hella money. I'm the champ. And the rematch happens. So you got you got opportunity to you know, settle the score and make everything right. So, uh, I guess, I guess it, it comes down to, uh, how you feel at the moment. Hey, one of the fans has a question for you. Dixon Sider wants to know, how does Cody feel about the point deduction prop at plus 2000? O'Malley loves fence grabs. Herzog warned him four times in one fight and even pulled his hands off the cage. Ooh, that's a hard one. Depends on I don't know who the referee is, so uh, yeah, it's, I think it's a good one. You know, I, I was watching that too, man. He does a lot of fence grabs, and there's going to be a lot of fence involved, and there's going to be a lot of grappling involved. So I can see that happening. Hey, who needs you in the face illegally, by the way? Uh, Dre Miley. Oh shit, Dre Miley. Yeah, I've been yeah. seeing him on Twitter a lot. And the thing about it is, Nate Diaz he fought for the BMF title and got, you know, stitches right there. And I saw a picture of his stitches and they were the cleanest stitches I ever seen. Then I go back and look at my stitches. This, this is the same night. I said, Oh my God, I'm gonna have the nastiest scar. I felt like this guy had never gave anyone stitches before. I had my doctor with me. I told him, Hey, I want you to do my stitches. He said, man, Cody, I can't, I'm not licensed in Tennessee. I'm licensed in Georgia. And so the guy wouldn't let him uh, give me stitches. And, uh, man, got a nasty scar right there. You see it? Yeah, I see the scar tissue, too. Yeah, so uh, I was pretty disappointed. 
But no one's really cut it open in the UFC, have they yet? Nah, man. You know my plan. Hit, don't get hit, and leave with a pocket full of cash. <laughs> All right. So I think we both have Sterling here, and but it, it would be cool as hell to see O'Malley win. Now, real quick. We're going to talk about this in the Blackshear fight because he's taken a one-week turnaround, cutting all that weight. What do you think about Sterling, you know, turning around so quickly, cutting all that weight? Uh, I don't I don't think it's going to affect him much, you know. Um, he had enough time in between, and I'm pretty sure he kept his weight down and, and knew who he had next behind the scenes, so... I think I think I don't think it's going to affect him much. Co-main event of the evening for the strawweight belt. We got the champ, Wiley Zhang. She's 23 and 3, taking on Amanda Lamos, who's 13 and 2. And currently they got it. Wiley Zhang, minus 330. The comeback on Amanda Lamos is plus 270. This is a hell of a fight, Cody. And I'm kind of pissed they made it because I really wanted to see the China versus China super fight between Wiley Zhang and Yan Zhao Nan. Um, you know, longtime listeners of the show know that. I bet on Yan Jianan every single UFC fight she's had were eight and two. So I was wanting to cash in on cash in on her in, in her title fight. And I love the Wiley Zhang matchup for her. But Amanda Lamos is super dangerous. And back to kind of this like theme that we've been talking about, where you know, these much bigger fighters cutting a lot of weight. Lamos is a former bantamweight, Cody, and now she's fighting at 115. She has to cut a lot of weight. And we have seen in that Angela Hill fight when she gets extended that same cardio dump happens. And again, it's not that she's not in shape. She she has to be in shape to make 115. There's no way in hell she's not running extra miles. It's just those weight cuts are brutal. But man, let me tell you what. Uh, in not just the women's divisions, but specifically 115, which is the bottom of the women's divisions in the UFC, this has to be the pound-for-pound pound hardest hitter, man. I mean, she's got a bunch of knockdowns. And even that fight against Marina Rodriguez, who's one of the best strikers in, in the division, usually when people beat Marina Rodriguez, they have to take her down. Lamos got a standing TKO in that fight. But let me tell you something about Zhang. Zhang might be one of the best athletes in all the UFC. And let me tell you what I, what I mean by that. One fight, she gets outgrappled by Rose Namajunas. A full year later, she comes back and out-wrestles and submits Carla Esparza. It's like... To make those kind of improvements in a year span, I think that speaks volumes to what kind of athlete she is, what kind of martial artist she is, her discipline, her work ethic. And I can only imagine what kind of improvements she's made since the last time we've seen her, Cody. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what camp she's at, but she was at Henry Cejudo's Fight Ready camp uh, training with Henry Cejudo and, and made that big leap in, in the grappling wrestling department uh, in just one year like you talk about. You know, she's... Now that uh, Amanda Nunez is gone, I believe she's the pound-for-pound pound number one female fighter uh, on the planet. And, uh, you know, she did have two losses to Rose Nunez, got knocked out bad by a head kick. I was there, man. It was it was sick. But uh, I believe, you know, with her experience, her championship experience, uh, that she's going to get it done here. Yeah, no, I mean, I can absolutely see it. Um, but the early going is not going to be without a fight. I mean, right. calf kicks, heavy hands. You shoot a sloppy shot on Lamo, she's got that guillotine waiting for you. Um, round one and even round two, Lamo, she's hell on wheels. 
past that, that's where, you know, that that weight cut starts to play a factor. But it's not like Wiley Zhang's exactly a walk through the park in the early going either, right? So it's kind of, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be a collision. That's what makes it so intriguing. And I'm just curious if this price tag is warranted at minus three thirty. You know, Lamosh uh, plus two seventy, one of the most dangerous fighters in the division. Now. I'm hoping she doesn't win because I have to see this China versus China super fight because if Lamosh wins, then there's going to be a rematch. Then Xiaonan's probably going to have to wait or fucking take the Suarez fight, which we're trying to avoid as uh, Xiaonan fans. We, we don't we don't want the Suarez fight. We want our title shot, right? So I'm hoping Zhang can get it done, maybe get it to the mat. And I think she does have an advantage there. But man, these stand-up exchanges, I mean, if you got money on Zhang at this price... I have a feeling you're going to be sweating these stand-up exchanges, Cody. Yeah, yeah, I have a feel, man. Exactly, but you know, I think uh, um, Lemos, you know, she she fought uh, Angela Hill and and uh, she lost a split decision. And I think uh, Zhang Weili is so much better than Angela Hill and uh, has you know better striking, better grappling. And I just see uh, Zhang Wali, you know, getting the fight to the ground. And uh, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a finish, man. I think Zhang Wali is going to get her to the ground and uh, and finish her via submission or, or ground and pound. But, you know, it, it's going to be a tough one on the feet in the beginning rounds. Just like you say it is, though. You're, you're, you hit the, uh, you hit it right on the head. Featured bout in the welterweight division. We got Ian Machado Gary. He's 12 and 0, taking on Neil Magny, who's 28 and 10. Currently, they got it. Neil Magny, listen to, excuse me, Ian Gary, minus 500, Cody. The comeback on Neil Magny is plus 375. I've been very impressed with Ian Gary. I think he's one of the best prospects in the welterweight division. But Neil Magny has a reputation for stifling prospects and he makes guys fight uncharacteristic. Like, I don't know what it is, but some of the most dangerous knockout artists, for some reason, they get into these clinch wars with, with Magni, Robbie yeah. Lawler, Li Jing Liang, a bunch of other guys. Philip Rowe. Phil Rowe, Tony Martin. I can go on. Is Ian Gary going to fall into the trap? Or Because, like, look, I think Ian Gary can chop this man down with calf kicks eventually go upstairs like many men have before Ponzinibbio, Lorenz Larkin, but he is inexperienced at this level. So is it vet lesson time or do you think Ian Gary is truly the future? Like I do. Man, uh, I, this is a tough one to pick. Cause like you said, man, and we even had this discussion, you know, after the Philly road fight, like, uh, he just, something about why why his opponents always choose to to you know the even the great strikers they choose to clinch and and wrestle him for some reason and i don't understand it you know we talked about it and you said you don't know why as well but uh yeah neil neil magny's gonna have to get his hands on him and uh try to try to grind him out you know neil he'll he'll like to hold him against the cage for a good amount of the fight, but, uh, Ian Gary, you know, he has to keep his range, keep his distance, uh, use his footwork and, and land those big shots he has. And let me tell you what, man, 
Gary's not just a one-trick pony. He can grapple, too. If you watch his regional fights, he's been to five rounds. Good takedown defense, good get-up game. I like everything about him. His confidence is sky high. Yeah, seems yeah. like he truly is the future. So I think he's going to be the guy that doesn't fall into that fucking game plan. I don't know what it is, man. Like, you see it so many times. Like, they fight uncharacteristic. It's like, do you think it's the range of Magni? That's the issue. Um, but let me say this. Ian's not a small guy. Ian's six foot three as well, right? So, yeah. He's got a seven-four inch reach as well. Uh, what is Neil Magny's reach? Do you know? It's got to be 80 to 82, right? Let me check right now. 80. Oh, my gosh. That's a six-inch reach advantage. And he's six foot three as well. That has to be why these guys keep keep wanting to, to grapple him, you know, that range. But uh man, I gotta I gotta go with the with the stud, the undefeated 16 fight win streak, uh the confidence, the swagger. I'm going with Ian Gary. I am as well. Um I've been sold since day one. I mean he does have a bit of that tall man's defense, which eventually someone will capitalize on. I don't think Neil Magny's the guy. And I didn't think Jeff Neal was the guy either. I loved him against Jeff Neal, but he was minus 175 there. He's minus 500 here. The price is trash, but I like Ian Gary in the spot. Yeah, so uh, Jeff Neal pulled out, huh? He did. Yeah, okay. Hopefully he's okay. I heard some health stuff. Yeah. Well, we now. know he's a stud, so he must be really hurt. <laughs> Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Mario Bautista. He's 12-2, and two, taking on Damon Blackshear, who's 14-5. and five. Currently, they got it. Mario Bautista, minus 220. The comeback on Blackshear is plus 185. So last week, Blackshear was the third man in UFC history to uh, get a twister. Korean zombie, Bryce Mitchell, Damon Blackshear. Welcome to the history books, young man. Now he's making the quick turnaround doing what BMFs do. Um, he's not a small 35er, though. What do you think about this wake-up? I mean, we'll talk about the stylistics, but what do you think about a big boy like that making 35 twice in seven days? Mm, it's got to be hard, you know, because after you weigh in, you 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 want to eat up and, and put on as much weight as you can. And then Sunday, you're not even thinking about this fight. And uh, when did he uh, accept the fight? Monday. Monday. Yeah, so he has, you know, four days to make weight, really. And uh, is it a catch weight or is it 35? 35s. Wow. Wow, yeah. So, uh, man, he, he looks like an absolute monster on the scale. That's like, his nickname. I was scrolling through uh, Twitter and I passed them and I backed it up. I said, Oh my gosh, what, what do I have to do to look like that? You know, I'm over here built like Ben Askren. And, uh, I, I think, it, I think, <laughs> I think he, I think it's going to be tough on him, you know, but I don't know him. I don't know his camp. I've, I've barely watched him fight. So uh, I don't know much about this fight. But I know Batista, you know, he's savage. You know, he brings it. And uh, 
it's going to be tough for him to get two two wins in a row back to back within seven days. Yeah, listen, Blackshear, hell of an athlete, but I feel like when we talk about you know these guys being great athletes, they might view it as disrespect, like or disrespect or you know ignoring their technique or hard work, which I am not doing at all. I mean, the guy to hit a twister in the UFC and some of the other stuff he's done. The last fight against Luan Lacerda was nasty. Even the fight prior to that against Basharat. Did you see that fight, bro? I was blown away by Basharat. Man. Oh, I, I, I'm not sure if I saw that fight or not, but uh, I've watched Basharat fight, and, dude, he's he's some, he's good, man. He is very good. Um, but, man, Damon. But let's, let's talk about who Damon just fought, though. Fought Jose Johnson, you know. The guy can't grapple to save his life. That's why. That's why you know he got twistered. <laughs> you know, I've had my eye on Jose Johnson for forever because I've seen him fight on the regional and I've seen him fight. Uh, you know, I thought he was a potential matchup for me. You know, he's fifteen and eight. You know, he's 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 not on the upper echelon of the UFC, and and that's why he got twistered. And if you look, uh, yeah, he had a good, good win on the contender series, beat a guy, uh, and, and Jack Cartwright, but man, I just, I wasn't impressed with him, but let's not take anything away from Damon Blackshear, but I can almost guarantee you that he's not going to get a twister this fight. (laughs) (laughs) I think that Bautista has faster hands heavier hands pushes a faster pace but this is a letdown spot like he was getting ready for cody no love and mm-hmm. i thought i thought he was gonna run through him Same. I, thought, I thought it was easy money but listen this is not just a step up for blackshear this is a step up for bautista because let's be honest he's been fighting soft competition now he's been treating them like soft competition but soft competition no less but here I think that his pace is going to be the difference. I think first round is going to be really tough, but that's where the wake can kind of come in to play for Blackshear, kind of drain him a little bit. Bautista doesn't slow down. I do think Blackshear's volume has gotten better, but one of the reasons he doesn't have as many one-punch knockouts is because he stands straight up, right? He doesn't have that bend in his knees. His volume has gotten a lot better, and man, he's very funky with his entries to his takedowns. And on the mat, as you saw, not just in the Johnson fight, but even the the Basharat fight. He tried to get the twister in the Basharat fight, too. He had a nasty triangle in the Basharat fight. He's taken down all his UFC opponents. I can see him taking down uh, Bautista. I mean, and Guido Canetti took down Bautista. A couple guys have taken him down, right? Um, Trevin Jones knocked him out. So last time I had to lay a price like this on Bautista. Actually, that's not true. Last time I laid a, tr- a price on this on Bautista... We cashed easily against Benito Lopez. The time prior, I had to lay a price like that on Bautista. We got knocked out by Trevin Jones. So he hasn't oh. always, yeah, he hasn't always covered this price tag. But so there's the letdown spot angle where, man, you were getting re- ready for Co- Cody Nola, former world champion, biggest name you've ever fought, a fight that was guaranteed to get you into the top 15. Um, and now you're fighting this unknown killer. So, but Bautista, he seems to me like he's got the mental fortitude where, you know, 
you put Cody and the Cody no love in the rear view and he's ready to focus on this. I think the the early going is going to be tough. And Blackshear's never been finished in um in 20, 20 professional fights, Cody. Very, wow. very, very impressive, right? So and Damon, he's shown me glimpses of like like just like like he can be special at times. It's just a matter of like starting to feel comfortable inside that octagon. Like you know firsthand, like yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it takes time, man. I mean, whatever you did on the regional scene, unless you were you know in in another big organization, it's totally different uh, once you step in that UFC octagon. And uh, you know, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna go out on a limb here. You know, I I want to see good great things. You know. Blackshear just did a great thing last weekend. And I'm, you know, he's a big underdog. I'm picking him, picking Blackshear to win. Never been finished. He's an absolute monster uh, by the looks of it. Great skills. And he's been around a long time, you know. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick uh, Blackshear this fight. And I respect it. And back to the weight cut talk because, okay, Let's say, for example, when you fought JP Baez, you ran through him in the first round quicker than anyone else has, by the way. And uh, let's say they called you on Monday and said, hey, can you turn around, make 25s again on Friday, fight someone else on Saturday? You're, you're not built like DeMond Blackshear, but that would still be a fucking process and a half, right? Yeah. Yeah, it would. It, it's not, it wouldn't be good, you know. I see exactly what you're saying. It's just a it's just a hard hard pick, you know, but uh, I, I like the I like the plus money here, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take I'm 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 staying with Blackshear, you know. We'll see. Yeah, I bet you ten push-ups. <laughs> no, I'm not trying to talk you off it. I'm just more trying to hear from your perspective because yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. not the fighter here, right? You are. You know what it means to, you know, fight at this level, but more importantly than that to cut this kind of weight because 25s where you're at and 35s where he's at as grown ass men, that's like the brink of our body fat, man, to, to make that kind of weight. So I'm just curious, pick a side, what kind of toll would it have on you? Like we're talking about, we're not talking about after the Hadley fight where you actually had to go through some shit. We're talking about after the JP buys fight where you just ran through a guy real quick. Yeah. 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 I mean, it would, it would suck. <laughs> sucks so bad dude weight cuttings man for me is hard you know uh, a lot of people didn't know it was hard but there was a reason why I stepped on the scale at 10 20 and not 9 a.m you know uh, I still I still think you know like uh, either way you look at it the guy took the fight you know he, he must be money hungry or he's real confident after that win. So, uh, and also he's 5'10", man. That's a big, and by the looks of him, he's 5'10", 72-inch reach. That's a big bantamweight, you know. That's that's like Sean O'Malley. He's at, he's at least 155, you know. 150 on fight night, 153 on fight night. But, you know, Monday, he was every bit of 155. So, that's 20 pounds I, I, I see him having to cut in four days. But he, how old is he? He's 29 years old, man. He's in his prime. So I believe, uh, you know, he, he's going to handle it. If he makes weight, 
and uh, get the job done. Where does he train out of? North Carolina. So he used to train at Jackson Wink, but he left them. He's in Florida now. He's got his own people. And look what he's done since then. Two brutal finishes back to back. So seems like he's with the right people. And more, more importantly than that, like you were talking about, he's feeling more comfortable inside there. You know, he's got his feet wet a little bit. Um, starting to feel like this is his home. So I respect the hell out of him. And I do think it's a dogger pass situation. I'm just going to slightly lean towards Bautista. I love Bautista's body work. I love his aggression. I love his pace. On the mat, he's no fucking slouch either. Neither guy's a slouch anywhere in this fight. Um, but I just think the pace of Bautista is going to kind of pull him away in the second and third rounds and kind of get him this decision. But it is dog or pass, and you cannot sleep on Blackshear because, uh, like, when this guy really finally puts it together, sky's the limit, man. You know what I'm saying? But but Bautista, a guy that's paid his dues, a guy that he deserves a top 15 opportunity, and he's been growing too. So I just love everything about this fight. I'm going to go Bautista. You're going to go Blackshear, and we're betting 10 push-ups on it. Let's bet, uh, let's bet 35 push-ups because it's in the Bantamweight division. Well, uh, let's just do squats. Okay, yeah, that's true. You did get armbarred recently and, and not tap, so. Let's do squats. Okay, 35 squats. 35 air, hand, air handshake. Awesome. And next up, also in the Vandenweight division, we got Marlon Chito Vera. He's 22-8, and eight, taking on Pedro Munoz, who's 20-7. and seven. Currently, they got it. Marlon Vera minus 185. The comeback on Pedro Munoz is plus 160. So I think you have the best insight on this fight. Pedro Munoz is your training partner. Um, so you know, I, I assume you know what his guillotine feels like, what his calf kicks feel like. And the reason I bring those two specifics up is because as a fan, that's two of his biggest weapons I've seen inside the octagon. Plus he's got very heavy hands. Um, from what you've told me, he seems like a very competitive guy. Uh, what can you tell the fans about your experience training with Pedro and how do you feel about this matchup? Oh man, you know, I'm rolling with Pedro Munez. Uh, I think, I think we've, we've, uh, saw, uh, Marlon Vera. I think, I think, I think, I think he's taking a step back, you know, he was on the, on the rise up, but he's had a few losses. But Pedro's highly competitive. He's been training very hard. Uh, every day he's there. And uh, that's my boy, man. I got to take him. But it's going to be a, a – like everybody, you see uh, Pedro Munez. He's, he's going to come for those legs, you know. He's got a heavy right hand. He's got an awesome win over Chris Gutierrez, uh, his last fight. So uh, – yeah, I expect fireworks this fight. And we we all know Marlon Vera, he's a slow starter. So, three-round fight. It's going to be hard for Marlon to, to keep up with Pedro's pace. I'm just curious, as someone who's trained with Pedro, what do those calf kicks feel like, and what's that guillotine like? Uh, man... He he kicks he kicks the hell hell out of you. You know what I mean? Like when they connect, it you feel the power behind them. You know that's why you gotta move your leg out of the way and make sure it's not there. And uh, actually, last last training camp, Pedro got me. We were grappling. Granted, he didn't have any gloves on, 
and I had gloves on and he got me with a, a guillotine. So, uh, it don't feel too good, man. I thought my neck was going to snap. <laughs> and the guy's 36 years old. Now, you know, for what you can reveal, you don't feel like he's lost any competitive edge despite the age. No, no, trust me, man. We've had sparring wars, you know, sparring wars where he's calling me out. I, all right, we're going on Thursday. You know, I walk in the room, who you got today? And then I'm just like, I already know he's coming for me. So I'm like, I got you. And he's like, all right, cool. You know, so we've had a lot of sparring wars and, you know, he don't like to lose. I don't like to lose. So this is, uh, this is something you want to see, you know, <laughs> I'm going to go on the opposite side. I'm going to go Cheeto. Listen, all respect to Pedro Munoz. Right. Absolute dog. Guy we've been watching for years. And like you said, at 36 years old, has not lost his competitive edge. Coming off a win against the guy you fought in your debut, Chris Gutierrez, looked very good, especially in that first round. I thought the second and third rounds were a little closer, but the first round dropped him. Um... So Vera, I think he struggles mostly when guys are longer than him or when guys can put him on his back. Here, Marlon's the longer guy. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to see front kicks up the, up the middle, knees. I think he knows he has to come out urgent. Um, so I understand the narrative. Pedro wins the first round. Cheeto wins the third round. Who wins the second round? All that. But it's not always that black and white. You know? Yeah. That's, I mean, you know, as well as I do, anything can happen in the fights. And, uh, what I tell you a long time ago, always what fade my picks. <laughs> <laughs> Remember I told you that always fade my picks. Um, but, I mean, I mean, Marlon Vera, you know, uh, uh, when, you know, last year that stands out to me is the win over Rob Font. Uh, and, and before he lost to Corey Sanhagen, uh, you know, in March, he was on a four-fight win streak against some, you know, dominant crews, head kick. Man, broke his nose. That was uh, amazing. But I just – I see this fight playing out on the feet, and I see a, uh, Pedro Munez with a lot of kicks, and, and he's going to find that big right hand and uh, just outworks uh, Marlon Vera. Neither guy been finished. Neither neither guy uh, neither guy been dropped. Um, amazing. But remember when BJ Penn the the famous saying was, "Never been knocked down, never been knocked out," until he got knocked down and knocked out. Right. So, at what point does the chin of one of these two ultra durable legends go? Especially, everybody. you said what now? It's gonna happen to everybody. Especially when they're up against each other. And they're both so such potent finishers. So while I understand the narratives of this probably going to go three rounds, and I can see it, I just would not be surprised if either guy was the first to finish the other. Because um, at some point, like, yes, neither guy has been finished, but both guys have been dropped. I mean, not dropped, rocked multiple times. Excuse me. Both guys don't exactly have the best head strike defense in the world. Now, they got some of the best chins in the world, <laughs> some of the best hearts and balls in the world, but but they're hittable as hell. That's yeah. what makes it so intriguing. 
I thought Vera got badly exposed his last fight. But I also think San Hagen's on a title trajectory right now. Right. Um, how much did that fight take away from his confidence? But at the same time, he seems to me like a very resilient dude. We've seen many times when Vera, he's taken plenty of setbacks. He's got eight losses on his record. He always seems to bounce back. So um, even though he did get exposed and maybe he's not going to be that title contender I once thought he was, but I, I still am not. I'm still not off the Cheeto train. I thought that, you know, it just seemed that Sanhagen was a terrible matchup. And let me tell you this, man. Can you believe that fight was a split decision? Oh, my God. That dude, that, you know, that, man, that makes me lose interest in in the sport, really, man. I mean, that just sucks because that was a clear win. For Corey Sanhagen, you know, and I think didn't didn't one judge have it like 49, 46 and then the other ones were like 48, 47, 48, 47 or something like that. Didn't yeah. one one, refer, uh, one judge had had it just they were all over the place, you know, and uh, I mean, not lose interest in the sport. But I mean, that that's just mind blowing to me. I don't understand. Like, did that judge have money on? Marlon Vera, you know, it's just like you never know what what happens behind the scenes, and because you can clear as day see who won that fight. Man, we're opening up a can of worms because, like, I don't know if you know about some of the shit that went down with me in the NFC, but you know how like a lot of the refs, <laughs> Nate Man, <coughs> judges, they don't take any accountability or responsibility for any bad calls if you question them you're the bad guy right so it, it's one of those things where like you like you can't question them they take no accountability for anything and even last week with the hakim dawadu fight did you see that fight uh i don't think i did the cub swanson fight oh no my remember my espn stopped working and i couldn't i couldn't watch any of it Oh, man. So listen, people that have been following me for a long time, because I know someone's going to be like, oh, you had a bet on Hakeem, so you're biased. Guys, y'all that have been following me for a long time know damn well that like I am not one to cry robbery, and I'll even tweet out in the middle of fights I bet on that my guy lost because I can see the way it's going. Like yeah. I, I'll, I'll tweet out two minutes into a fight, okay, X amount of units on this guy. I already know I lost. Like. I'm I'm never one to cry robbery ever. Like I always take my wins like a man. And that fight, man, like it look, was it close? Yes. But a fight can be close but be clear. That that's that's the thing that that's the distinction people don't understand. Like people are like, why why are you complaining? Like it was a close fight. Yes, it was close, but it was clear. So it's one of those things where the state of judging is so bad. Like, how can you justify giving Cheeto Vera? I, I had a bet on Cheeto Vera in the Sanhagen fight. It was like plus 160. Now, long term, if you tell me I got plus 160 odds on a split decision, then I feel like, hey, win or lose, I made the right bet. But I'm not going to look any of you in the eye with a straight face and tell you that that was a split decision. I scored at 50-45, Corey Sanhagen. I didn't even think that Cheeto won the third round, which is the round people say he won. I didn't think he won a single round in that fight. 
Yeah. So exactly. It, it's disgusting. Um, but back to this. I just think that one thing about Pedro, um, you know, fantastic last fight he had against Gutierrez, but I do kind of think that maybe not in the gym because, you know, you're the guy that's in there with him every day, but I do feel like these last few fights minus the Gutierrez fight and even the Gutierrez fight, like first round Munoz did his thing, but in the first round, even against Dominic Cruz, Pedro did his thing, dropped Dominic Cruz there too. I do feel like he starts to slow down as fights progress these days. Even the O'Malley fight, two of the three judges gave Pedro that first round. Now, granted, um, he landed, I believe, zero head strikes. It was all leg kicks, which smart. You know, why try to head hunt against the guy that's got that kind of range, that kind of reach on you, chop his calves down. You've seen that O'Malley has had problems with the legs, not just in the Vera fight, in the Sukumtut fight back in the day, right? So smart by, by Munoz, but... I felt like that fight was starting to shift towards O'Malley's direction in the second round. So basically, I think that is Vera going to take the first round off like he always does to kind of make his reads and, and see his openings, possibly. But I think I think round two, Vera starts to take over. Round three, I think he clearly wins. So I think it's either decision or one of these guys is going to be the first to finish the other. Um you can only t absorb those amount of significant strikes. And I'm talking about both guys for so long before your chins finally give out. And these are killer be killed type guys. That's why we respect them so much. That's why you'll never hear me say a bad word about a guy like Pedro Munoz or Marlon Vera. And, you know, I, I say that like I respect anybody that steps in there, even whether it's the worst fighter or the best fighter. Anyone that steps in there has my respect. It's just we're like when we criticize them as fans, we criticize them, you know, in relation to other UFC fighters. Like, would another UFC fighter have reacted this way or whatnot? Like when we were talking about the Aljo, um, you know, how we reacted to the illegal knee. Yeah, like we know a lot of money on the line. And we also know it's not his fault. He got need. And we also know he's probably rocked as hell. But we also know G Yuri Prohaska would have never done that. We also, right? Like, you get what I'm saying? So, that criticism, when it comes from me, it's just in com in comparison to other UFC fighters. I'm not saying I would fucking have success against these guys, but back to this because I can go off on on tangents. I think Vera is, is going to have a. <laughs> were you about to say something? That's pretty what pretty much what you did. <laughs> you went on a tangent. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure, for sure, and I can keep going. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I I think Vera is going to kind of push the pace second and third rounds and and get this decision. Um, but let's see if one of these guys is the first to finish the other. I'm intrigued by those possibilities. Now, featured prelim in the middleweight division, we got the legend, Chris Weidman. He's 15 and 6, the man to dethrone the great Anderson Silva, Chris Weidman, taking on Brad Tavares, who's 19 and 8. Currently, they got it. Brad Tavares minus 265. The comeback on Chris Weidman is plus 225. So. Let me ask you something, a little bit of trivia for you. Who's been in the UFC longer, Chris Weidman or Brad Tavares? Well, when you say it like that, probably Brad Tavares. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Tavares wow. debut 2010, Weidman's debut 2011. Man, that's awesome, dude. I, I wish I could hang around that long. <laughs> I keep doing what you're doing and you never know. Yeah, yeah. Man, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and tell you who I, who I got. I'm going to have to go with one second. Oh, man. 
what a what a great matchup for both guys. <laughs> I feel. I feel. Uh, I'm gonna have to go with Tavares. You know, I think that leg injury and him losing to the, the leg injury that Chris Weidman, you know, sustained in the later part of his career, and Tavares. You know, yeah, he got knocked out by Bruno Silva, but he also went to a decision with, you know, Drikas, uh Duplessis last year. And Izzy. Huh? And Izzy. Oh, yeah, and, and Israel. I, I got to go with him. I think, I, think, uh, I think he can, you know, he's been – I mean, he's already had a fight this year. Granted, he got knocked out pretty quick, but – I just have to go with Tavares, man. I think I think uh, I think he gets it done. Real he, quick, uh, before before we break this down any further, Alex says, "Must be hard for a guy like Cody having to hear from the judges most times after fights." Do you want to comment on this? Because I know we talked about this on the phone, but if you don't want to comment on this, I understand. But I know you have experience with this. Yeah, man. I- Freaking the judge after the fight, uh, my last fight was at the hotel, and uh, he walked up to me. He was like, man, great fight last night. Uh, I judged your fight. But what? He was like, yeah, man, you just you dominated from, from start to finish. Even after you got out of that arm bar and you finished the round strong by punching him in the face, I thought you won every minute up, up, up to that arm bar. And then when you got out and you finished it strong, uh, I thought, you know, that's what won you the round to me. And uh, he was like, it's real important to finish the round strong. And I was like, oh, appreciate it. But, yeah, that's pretty much it. Watching the fight back, because um, I know you told me at the time you were surprised it was 30-27. You thought you won 29-28. Watching it back, do you kind of say, well, I did win 14 minutes of that fight but he did have that big moment in round two looking back at it. How would you, how would you score round two now? Man, I had him in a, a sticky situation uh, with my Anaconda. I thought I was going to finish it. I finished everybody with that at the gym. And uh, then he got me in the arm bar. So I think on the feet, I, I won on the, the exchange on the feet and, you know, his moment of that fight was when he, Got me in a uh, reverse triangle and an armbar at the same time, or what? What was that? That wasn't a reverse triangle. Wasn't a. I think it was a reverse triangle. Yeah, reverse triangle armbar. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, it's it's. I'm 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 happy with the decision. You know, I think they they, it was right. So here's my opinion of, of the Tavares and Weidman fight. So. Man, without being too brutal, because I've been brutal on Weidman like since like 2017, 2019. So firstly, all respect to him, because when he came into the UFC, I mean, you know, he became an undefeated champion, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, do you remember what he did to Mark Munoz? I do not. Oh, man. When this is over, if you have time, pull up Chris Weidman versus Mark Munoz. Because I know you started to implement those standing elbows to your game. Yeah. If you, if you want to see a disgusting standing elbow to ground and pound, go check out what Chris Weidman did to Mark Munoz. One of the most brutal finishes 
in the history of the sport. Um, one second. So, anyways, and then after that, he dethroned the great Anderson Silva, who at the time was a mythical creature. It was a god who, like, we thought the guy was a fucking superhero. And I was even in attendance for that fight when he fought Anderson Silva at UFC 162 um, in 2013. It's 2023. That was 10 years ago. But, man, I'll never forget when Chris Weidman knocked out Anderson Silva, man. I mean, like, the whole place went silent. It, yeah. it was it was a spectacular moment in the sport. And then the rematch was sad with the leg break. But, man, the next fight that Chris Weidman had against Machida, um, I mean, he stood up with Machida for a large portion of that fight, outstruck him, and Weidman looked like a guy, like, he was cocked. He looked like a guy that could possibly make 205 back then, right? Then he had the Vitor Belfort fight. You know, overcame the little Vitor Blitz. I say little, the 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 heavy Vitor Blitz. And then you know about that Weidman single leg. Probably the best single leg in the business. One one takedown, the fight was, was over shortly after. But here's where things went downhill, okay? Um, the next fight was against Luke Rockhold, right? And obviously we know that he took, you know, he threw that unnecessary spinning kick, got taken down, ate a ridiculous amount of, of ground and pound from the full mount in round three. And Herb lets him carry on to round four, gets taken down again, and just eats way too much damage. was never the same. But let me say something. That Rockhold fight was the first fight under USADA testing that Weidman had. Now... I'm not one to make accusations, and I don't know for a fact about anything, but this is what I do know for a fact. Pull up the fight against Machida. Look at Weidman's physique in that fight. Pull up the fight against Rockhold and subsequent fights and look at his physique in that fight. Weidman shrunk significantly once um, USADA came into play. Oh, wow. Yeah, and um, ever since then... He's been knocked out in what? One, two, three, four, five, six, if you include the leg break, six of his last eight fights. And he's been dropped in seven of his last eight fights. So Wyden was never the same again. You could, you could say it was the Rockhold beating that changed his life, which it was a life-changing beating, a career-changing beating for sure. But I just want people to pull up the Machida fight. Look at his physique there where it's like, bro, like, because remember, he was the undefeated champion and they were talking about doing the New York versus New York super fight with him and John Jones, champion versus champion. I don't know if you remember that, but that was the talk back then. He looked like he shrunk badly once the USADA testing started coming in. And then his cardio just went out the window after round one, every single fight. His chin massively declined as well. So, can you hear me? yeah, I can hear you. I just can't see you right now. Um, but you're still there, right? Um, well, he, I guess he's about to come back in. Um, but anyways, so you guys get the, the point I'm making here. Um, that Weidman was never the same again once USADA came in. And I, I'm not making accusations because I don't know for a fact. All I know is that it looked like he shrunk big time once the testing started coming in. 
Um, there you are. Not bad. I don't know what happened. Oh, you're all good. Uh, yeah. So I feel like he shrunk big time once the testing came in, and then he got knocked out in six of his last eight, dropped in seven of his last eight, gases out after round one every single fight. So I don't see the same guy, and I've been saying that since like 2017, right? Now, um, the thing about him is, you know, because you're a fighter, fighters are delusional. And even to this day, like you still hear him at 39 years old coming off a career ending injury, like with the leg break, talking about how he still thinks he can be the guy to dethrone Adesanya. He still thinks he can be a champ. And like, I I respect the balls and just like, I I respect Chris a lot because he is a true fighter, a true warrior. And, And not just that, back in the day, He's a guy that out-wrestled Ryan Bader and Phil Davis in pure wrestling. He's a guy that arguably beat Andre Galvo in jiu-jitsu. So, like, Weidman was a a bad motherfucker. And on the feet, knocked out Anderson Silva, has very deceptive range at his best, but was just never the same again once the testing came in, plus the Rockhold uh, situation. Now, at 39 years of age, coming back, when I already thought that he was washed up pre-pandemic, you know? And here's the thing with Tavares. He's not a spring chicken either. You know, he's 35 years old. Like you said, he got knocked out his last fight. Now, I bet Bruno Blindado in that fight. But Brad Tavares, I've always described him kind of like this. I think he's an average kickboxer with above average takedown defense. Mm. He's got nasty balance. He's like, remember like, when BJ Penn fought Matt Hughes and um, Matt Hughes had BJ Penn on a single leg and he had his leg raised over his head. Yeah. BJ balanced on one leg. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's a Hawaiian thing or what, but like Brad Tavares is on that same shit. Like he can balance. Like if Chris tries to go for that single in the center of the octagon, I think that Brad can balance all the way and get himself back against uh, the fence. And from there, get that wide base swim for those underhooks. Not sure if he'll create the separation, but at least most most likely he's not going to get taken down. If he does, I, um, his get-up game's gotten a lot better. Yeah. So um, there's that. And then I heard people talking about how Tavares looked gun-shy his last fight. That's bullshit. I actually think what cost him in his last fight against Bruno Silva was he got over-aggressive. Like He was finding big openings for those body kicks. He was landing some nice combinations. And he was kind of like getting a little bit of ahead of himself. And then he got cracked with a nice uh, check right hook. And, you know, Tavares, we talk about Chris not having the best chin. Tavares doesn't have the best chin either. Now, granted, he hasn't been dropped or knocked out as much as Chris, but he's not exactly a Cheeto Vera or a, I was about to say a Cheeto Vera or a Marlon or a Marlon Vera. Excuse me. He's not a Cheeto Vera or a Pedro Munoz when it comes to the chin department. Let's just leave it at that, right? Yeah. But he still has, he still has a little bit. So it so it kind of reminds me of a Tony Ferguson versus Bobby Green situation where Tony is completely like like Bobby is close to the end, but Tony's past the end. So yeah. I think I think Brad's close to the end, but I think it Chris is past the end. Yeah. And people will mention how you know Chris Weidman just had this grappling match back in March, right? Did you see it by chance? No. So he lost his grappling match, right? And people are giving him shit for it. 
I'm actually not going to be one to give him shit for it because if you watch that match, the dude he was up against was one of these dudes that are that's built like a fucking refrigerator, like a Hector Lombard type stature, where it's like just short, stocky, but just like built like a fucking fire oh. hydrant. God dang, his legs are huge. Oh, you see it, right? Yeah, Owen Livesey. Yeah, bro. He, so like, there's no shame in like you know losing to that guy in your first uh grappling match back like that guy taking down that guy seems like a tall task like you're not taking down a fire hydrant or refrigerator all this like so i don't hold the grappling match against them but what yeah. i think is going to happen here is that i think that brad's just going to be a little bit sharper i think his timing is going to be more on point uh he's been in there recently um and his takedown defense has always been on point so while yes i do think chris back in you know 2015 would 100% win this fight I think that now Brad's catching him at the right time um stuff some takedowns get Chris to that fatigue state and either out volume him or knock him out um and we saw with Anderson when he had his leg break he was never the same ever again now granted he came back against Nick in the next fight and he was roided up at, out of his mind and he looked decent, but like it still wasn't the same. And if Chris is roided up here, which like I think that like you should be able to take steroids after you break your leg like that. Like look at Connor, right? And Connor's leg break wasn't even nearly half as bad as what Anderson or what Chris had to go through. So like it's fine. Like in my opinion, like you should be able to take steroids for an injury like that because you got to recover somehow, right? Um, yeah. But I just think Chris was already done pre-pandemic, so. I don't see why it'd be any different now at 39 years of age. So while Brad Tavares is not a spring chicken, I still think he's got the, the stylistic. Uh, I, I I think that this is a good matchup for him. Good takedown defense, more combinations on the hands, more and more, um, more confidence right now. I'm gonna go Brad Tavares, and I'm considering a bet. I'd like I'd like it to get down to the minus 250 range, but we'll see. Hopefully, you know. Weidman can convince some people that he's back and that he's ready to make this run and all this shit. You know, you know how they talk. Yeah. Uh, they're all super confident, but um, yeah, uh, I'm waiting for a better price. But uh, if I have to, you know, take a minus two sixty five, I might. But I'd like a minus two fifty or better. But we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, I'd yeah, must be nice being able to bet, man. I, I we need to start breaking down some Bellator cards so i can i think i think i can bet on bellator i'm not sure yeah uh or maybe pfl and uh certain things you know coming up uh but yeah so cody uh man you've given us over an hour of your time i know there's a lot of fights left um you have any opinion on any of these other fights um any message for the fans do you want to answer a couple fan questions or you just want me to let you go like you yeah, tell me three percent so well, oh, your phone's not three? Yeah, yeah. Let's answer a few questions before I go. All right, fans. Right now, he's got a phone on 3%. Send us some fan questions real quick. Um, so Dixon said, I was stupid and bet Jake Hadley. Cody taught me a valuable lesson. Fade a Cage Warriors champs and bet on American wrestlers like Cody Durden. So you, you got to teach him a very valuable lesson. <laughs> Damn, you're going to learn today. <laughs> but Bastard Horson says, Durden got you paid. So he says he loves you. So Nice, nice. 
Let's see. Let's see what else we got. Um, Frank says, Durden, thanks for cashing the other day. You're the man. He appreciates it. Thank you. I appreciate y'all. I appreciate you uh, having me on today, Levi. And, uh, man, we got we to gotta do this more often. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Uh, we definitely will. Alex E says, props to you for beating uh, the roided Carlos Moda. Oh, man, he was 100% on steroids. I mean, he was so strong. In the third round, he didn't slow down at all. And guys that I'm on top of like that, I usually break them, and he just wouldn't break. And he knew exactly what the fuck he was taking. You don't take uh, melodone or melodonin, something like that, when you have COVID. That's the stupidest shit I ever heard in my life. Oh, I didn't know what I was taking. Yeah, the fuck you did. You knew exactly what you were taking. That's why you didn't tell USADA you were taking it when they asked you when you took a piss. Not once, but twice. You failed two tests, you dirty little hamster. <laughs> Rain Man said, Cody, get rid of the mustache and let's embrace the Cody Durdaninov like a, like a Russian. <laughs> you don't like my mustache? Well, with your style, you know you know you, you have the record for second most takedowns in flyweight history. You know, it's kind of a Russian uh, trait. Oh, so. You say what? In one fight? Yeah, against Charles Johnson. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I wonder how, how wonder how I stack up to the rest of the division overall, though. No, uh, Mokayev has number one. He hit 12 takedowns on Charles Johnson. You hit 11. So you're number two all time on takedowns landed in flyweight. Oh, wow. Well, what, what about, like, overall uh, in the flyweight division, like, uh, per fights? I wonder how, how I stack up. There are you talking? Are you talking about body of work, like all your fights combined? Yeah, yeah. How how I stack up to the rest of the flyweight division combined? Combined? Okay, that's a good question. Well, we'll definitely have to uh, have to look into that. Um, all right, let me see if there's any last ones before. Uh... Oh, and real quick, some people were were getting mad that you uh, gave Jake Hadley the suck it. Can you please say why you did that? Because there's a, a specific reason why you did that. Well, if you go back to like Birmingham episode six, uh, you know, he had his fight cameras on him during his fight camp and they were doing episodes and stuff uh, on YouTube. And they were like, so how do you feel about the matchup with Durden? You know, your opponent pulled out. And then like like six, seven days before our fight, he was talking about, uh, oh, Cody, he looks to suck dick. He's a he's a cocksucker. All he's going to do is try to hold me and, and try to suck my dick. Yeah. And, you know, it just rubbed me the wrong way. I'm a family man. I have a wife. I have kids. And uh, for him to say that, uh, my coach had it on video. And while I was cutting weight, just it kept replaying, replaying. And so uh, I had to hit him with that Triple H with the double birds. <laughs> Karma, so, karma's a bitch. It is, man. It is, you know. Uh if you talk like that, you know, you better be ready for the repercussions if it don't go your way. Sean said, Cody, what's it like training with Kyoji at ATT? Uh, he's one of the best. He's one of the best. So, 
it's awesome. You know, I've learned so much from that guy. I learned so much from Pantoja, Adriana Mores. My main training partner down there is Danny Sabatello. So, you know, people wonder about my takedown defense. I didn't have a fucking clue Jake Hadley was going to shoot, but he didn't even come close. That's because I'm getting, I'm, I'm defending takedowns from Danny Sabatello every practice. Andrew said, how the fuck did you get out that armbar? I don't know. Uh, there was a part of me that wanted wanted to tap, but I just made that commitment. You know, if you tell yourself you're going to do something and you truly stand by it, you know, good things will happen. And that's what I did. I told myself I wasn't going to tap no matter what. And sometimes that don't play out, but for this time it played out. <laughs> what it is hey well now you're in the top 15 so it, hell yeah it paid uh it paid off and elvis says was hadley your toughest opponent and do you think he can be a future top five guy you know when he's in his prime like you no i don't think hadley was my toughest opponent uh i think chris gutierrez was my toughest opponent um but dude the sky is the limit for hadley you know uh he's 26 years old Motherfucker can grapple like no other, you know, just jujitsu and, and he's got good takedowns, you know, but I'm just good at defending takedowns, but he's overall better than a lot of people would assume. I think that his grappling and his takedowns are better than his striking, believe it or not. Pepe said we need that Mokayev rematch, but aren't you and Mokayev boys now? Yeah, I mean, we all have different paths, you know. Uh, he beat me fair and square, you know. Uh, just move on from that, you know. I've moved on for it, from it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we talk. But, uh, you know, if, if we had to fight for the title one day, title contender spot, whatever, you know, I'll fight anybody. He also said, and this is for the hardcore fans, Cody, uh, it's crazy. Cody ran through the LFA champ John Sweeney how he did in the NFC, yeah. baby. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's yeah, it's turned out to be a pretty good win. You know, um, I just called him the other day uh, to get his social security number so I can put him on my taxes. <laughs> uh, Ricky said, "Any upcoming fighters that we should look out for that you train with?" Oh man, there's so many. There's so many that I don't even know their names because they're from a different country. Uh, amateur. Shamel, Bimmy, all them. Oh yeah, yeah, Bimmy. I train with Bimmy every day, man. He's he's really looking good, uh, strong. I'm teaching him everything I know, and you know his humility, his humbleness, allows him to grow. And man, he's uh, becoming tougher and tougher to handle. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Paul Finley, man, the sky's, I know he just lost, but another young up and comer, uh, hasn't even hit his prime yet. And, uh, you know, he's, he's working hard every day. I expect big things out of him. Awesome, man. Well, I bet your phone's at, go ahead. One more question. Okay. Um, all right. One last question. Um, I bet your phone's on 1%. So, you know, we truly do appreciate, uh, Hey, um, yeah, I'm just going to let you go now. Uh, I really Hi. hope, I really hope that, you know, your doctor clears you and we'll see what happens with that, man, because, uh, we know that, you know, 
that was a serious fucking arm bar, man. But I know that it's if it's up to you, you're going to fucking be there, you know, but sometimes matters are beyond our own hands. So we'll have to see what your doctor says. But I know it's up to Cody Durden that you will show up. So let's just see what your doctor says. And we're keeping our fingers crossed that you make a speedy recovery and you get back in there ASAP. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely, brother. And th- what was that? Let's do it again soon. All right. We absolutely will. And hey, come to my gym again soon. Let's train. I want to grapple with you. Yeah, man. As soon as I heal up and get clear, bro, we're we're good. We'll we'll do it. And uh, send me that picture of Weidman before and post Usada. All right. I want to see what you're talking about. Just go on Fight Pass, pull up the Machida fight, and then pull up the post Usada fights. All right. Sounds good, bro. See you. See you, buddy. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's my dog, Cody Durden. Hey, um, sorry if we missed some of y'all's questions. Um, you know, his phone was on 3%. So did the absolutely best, uh, did the absolute best we could. Um, Dixon said, I want to grapple with you famous last words. Listen, man, I mean, what's the worst that can happen? He taps me out and dominates me. I mean, I get tapped out and dominated every fucking day. My black belts is not a big deal. Like, um i just want the experience like because cody's a brown belt i'm a purple belt so he's already better than me in that aspect he's a state champion wrestler i'm not a wrestler so he's already better than me in that aspect he's a fucking top 15 ranked ufc fighter i'm not a fighter so he's already you know so i just want to i just want to i just want to feel uh what that's like and we actually have trained together back in the day but it was actually stand up and this was a few years back um but i think i was like a fucking white belt back then so yeah i'd, I'd just be curious to uh you know, to grapple with him, um, just for the experience, man. Um, BJJ is a very humbling sport. Like it's the kind of sport where like you might tap out a black belt one day and then your very next round might be this unknown D one wrestler, but he's a white belt. So you see him as a white belt and then he fucking puts it on you. So it's just, yeah, you just consistently have to humble yourself. And I want that experience, you know, um, and plus he's my friend. So it'd be fun. You know, it, it would be fun. That's all it is. So anyways, before I talk about the next few fights, firstly, thank you guys so much for being here and, you know, taking the time to, to just share this experience with us and do me a huge favor and smash that like button, hit the subscribe button. If you're not subscribed, leave me a comment when this is over. And if you feel so inclined, please share as well. Um, but yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to, uh, <laughs> rain man is funny with that comment. Uh, Hey, but Cody, Cody's a student of the game, man. He watches a lot of fights. So, you know, you never know. But anyways, next up in the middleweight division, we got Gregory Hobokop Rodriguez. He's 13 and five taking on Dennis Chuluan, who's 11 and seven. Hey, uh, Pepe, are you, are you still in here? Cause if you are, maybe, uh, you want to break down the rest of these fights for me or with me, excuse me. Here's the link posted it uh, in the chat. If, if you're still watching, hop on here with me and let's break down the rest of these cards, the rest of these fights together. Um, so next up in the middleweight division, we got Gregory Hobokop. He's 13 and five taking on Dennis Chaluan, who's 11 and seven. And currently they got it. Gregory. Rodriguez minus 360. The comeback on Dennis Chalua's is plus 285. So interesting matchup because Hobo Cop, I think one of the things that he's been criticized for is that despite being such a credential jujitsu 
athlete that he doesn't go for takedowns as much as you'd like him to. Now, part of that is kind of overblown because when you really look at the numbers, I mean, he did land a takedown against Chidi Njikwani. He did land two takedowns against Armin Petrosian. He did land two takedowns against Jung Young Park, three takedowns against Dushko Todorovic. So um, I think that might be kind of overblown that he doesn't necessarily go for takedowns, and it might only take one takedown in the spot. But I think what's more important to bring up is that, listen, he loves to bang. And as fans, we love to see it. And this guy does have very, very heavy hands. He's got that one hitter quitter, nasty left hook, nasty right hand. Let me uh, message uh, Pepe on on Twitter just to see if uh, if he left after Cody left. Um, on. <laughs> that's not pepe um i said pepe all right so the thing about hobo cop is that he likes the bang and you know for better or for worse right like he absolutely has that one hitter quitter you've seen it so many times and you saw what what's up buddy got pepe silva in the house front runner for mma handicapper of the year in 2023 so thanks for being here buddy what um, up? so yeah we were talking about how the narrative might be a little bit overblown that um i don't know if you heard my inter in my like you know opening words for this fight might be kind of overblown that he doesn't go for as many takedowns because I just listed you like three or four examples where he has gone for takedowns. I just think it's more so that the guy loves to bang with everybody he's in there with. Um, and for good reason. I mean, the guy's got heavy hands. He, I mean, you saw what he did to Julian Marquez. You saw what he did to the Iron Turtle. But on the flip side, his chin is not the best. And he's been stopped by guys that, you know, most likely have no business stopping him. Uh, Jordan Williams, for example. Now, I bring this up every time I talk about a Jordan Williams fight, how Jordan Williams at 85s and Jordan Williams at 70s are two completely different people. Jordan Williams at 85 knocked out Robocop, had that split decision with Ramazan Kuramagomedov, had a life and death war with uh, Imavov, right? But Jordan Williams at 70s gets knocked out every single fight. Like, so he just, his chin, and they even told him like with his diabetes that he should not be cutting the 70s. So that's just what it was. Um, but then also Bruno Ferreira as a massive underdog and also a much smaller man knocked him out too. So the thing is, if he stands and bangs with Dennis Jaluan, I'm not saying that he can't win. I'm just saying that Dennis Jaluan's one path here is that Dennis Jaluan's not a bitch standing. Dennis Jaluan can bang. Uh, that, that's for sure. And the thing about Dennis is like when you think that like, okay, well, you got a Russian here. So like, you know, man, this guy's grappling must really be on point. But for a Russian, he's on the lower end of the totem pole in terms of the grappling prowess for, for Russians. He does not grapple like a Russian at all. Now, he he is a fucking warrior. Like when you get that rear naked choke on him, he'll go to sleep. Like he saw in the Iron Turtle fight, he was just like, fuck it. I'm just going to go right to sleep. Like, dude is a warrior. He's willing to die in there. But like, I bet on that Hisriev guy, like I laid minus like 315 straight on him. That's how I confident I was. And so, some of the stand-up exchanges, like I said, this guy is dangerous. So um, what do you think Hobocop's approach is going to be in this fight? Yeah, I, I think he's actually going to grapple more this fight, um, you know, especially coming off that knockout loss. He even said in interviews that he's going to, um, he focused way too much on the striking and he got kind of like, 
addicted to knocking people out once he finally started using his hands more and that he's going to um, fall back onto what got him to the dance, which was his grappling and his jujitsu. So I think he's going to grapple here and submit uh, Dennis in round one or two. I played the under one and a half and some submission one and submission two props for it. Yeah, I mean... I can obviously see that being the case. No questions asked. Um, it, it's just a matter of like, while they bang, you know, let's not sit here and act like you're not going to be sweating every single stand-up exchange because you are. That's the bottom line. Um, you know, Tuluan is long. He's rangy. He doesn't have a bit of that tall man's defense, but I think he does have a better chin than uh, than uh, Hobo Cop. But it's just, it might not even take that one takedown. It might take Dennis Chalouin throwing a kick and slipping. Once he's on his back, he tends not to get back up, and that's where Gregory can truly capitalize. Once he had Chitty on the mat, I mean, Chitty wasn't getting back up. Now, granted, Chitty was getting fucked up prior to that, but yeah, so it's going to be interesting. And also, Gregory, that uh, fight against Armin Petrosian, when he went for, I always forget the name of this fucking submission, the the knee bar from the back, the the stretch, the something stretch, the Soluev stretch. Love, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one. You know, you know exactly which one I'm talking about. Um, you know, props to Petrosian. What a tough ass dude not to tap to something like that. Um, so well, yeah, Petrosian's got pretty good submission defense. You know, even Kyo couldn't submit him. And facts. You know, so I think people hold that against him a bit. And you saw when Dennis got to the ground with um, Park, he had no idea what to do. There was like, there was no getting up. Park advanced positions quickly and um you know handle business and you know and the, the reason i like the submission a lot too is because dennis isn't going to give up to strikes you know what i mean he's not going to just cover up and wilt he's going to keep fighting and make you put him to sleep like park did and you know the the way park um handled him and then I, you love to see the respect that he showed him after the fight, after he put him to sleep, you know, making sure he was okay. He was so gentle with him. I just love that, that part, dude. Yeah. He's, he's a stand-up, uh, stand-up guy, mm-hmm. man. I just wonder like, what was like Chaluin's upbringing? Did he like, cause I know there are some Russians that are like strikers, like Volkov, um, Pavlovich, you know, guys like that. Like, is he just like been around those guys from day one? Like, did he never like, Cause man, you often think that Russians like have like this much, like this much wrestling, this much grappling, but he is a warrior. Like you said, like he's not going to tap like most, most likely. I mean, if it's a limb, then you probably will, but to chokes against park, it was just fuck it. Choke me out, put me to sleep. So I respect the dog. Um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. And the the reason I like the under, even though it's kind of juiced is because Dennis brings it, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't really take his time. Like he's just straight for business and he's going to bring the fight to RoboCop. Whereas I think some of RoboCop's fights can go over because he can be kind of low volume, but um, with aggressive strikers like Dennis, I think it, it's a perfect recipe for the under. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got the ultimate fighter finale between Kurt Hollibo, who's 19 and 7, taking on Austin Hubbard, who's 15 and 6. Currently, they got it. Hubbard minus 175, the comeback on Hollibo's plus 150. So here's what's interesting about Hubbard. You know, we used to joke around and call him call him harmless Hubbard because, you know, you're not, he's not gonna get too many finishes, he's not gonna hurt too many guys. 
but he's got like this weird ability to like turn fights into sparring matches and kind of like not take any risks at all and therefore his opponents don't take too many risks but let, let me give him credit because i bet on davi hamosh against him and davi hamosh like took his back and like davi hamosh is like one of the best fucking jujitsu guys in the world and like hubbard survived like some terrible spots like he's like Hubbard's not going to really do much, but he's also like really hard to finish and put away. It's kind of interesting how that works. He's like good at turning these fights into sparring matches. And I saw on the Ultimate Fighter last night. Now talk is cheap, as you know, Pepe. But Kurt Holbo said I'm going to get him to shoot a sloppy shot, and I'm a guillotine. I'm a guillotine him. And look, you know I love my guillotines, but I'm thinking to myself like, you know, if Davi Hamosh couldn't submit you. I don't think Kurt will, but then again, talk is cheap and you watch Kurt's fights and what he's known for, he's got heavy hands. And you know, what's funny is when he fought Shane Burgos, I actually picked him against Burgos because at the time Burgos was very, very cocky in the way that he fought with his hands down. Um, and I thought that Holobo was going to floor him. Holobo actually did floor him. And then like two seconds later, gets caught with an armbar. I was like, Oh my God. Like I was close to a pretty sharp underdog call there. Um, so it's like, do you think Hubbard can, just like not take any risks and turn this into that kind of just like that point fighting sparring match type shit. Yeah. I don't see why not. Um, but, um, I think the upside here is with, um, Hollabaugh at the current lines. Um, but I don't really have too much of an interest in playing the money line. Um, but I did play the, um, that goes to distance line on this. I thought it was pretty good. It was like, it was minus 130. I think that's pretty solid for an Austin Hubbard fight, you know, and Holloway's tough as nails too. Like, I don't, I don't really see Hubbard getting a finish. Um, of course not. It's harmless and, Hubbard. Yeah, exactly. And, and Hubbard's a tough guy too, but the reason, but I also played um Holloway decision plus 400. So I have goes the distance and Holloway decision. Um, I just think he's like, more the more aggressive guy and he hits harder um you know i the only way i can see hubbard uh running away with it is if he grapples him and is able to get him on his back for long periods of time but yeah i don't i don't really see um Holobos submitting him i mean Salaki made easy work of hubbard but you know he's he's kind of different um yeah, but I I think it's really nice numbers on the overs and Hollabaugh decision. Yeah, I mean, pure pick. I'll go Hubbard to do, you know, his typical thing, but I'm not laying this price on him. I think it's a dog or pass situation. Next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Cody Gibson. He's 19 and 8, taking on Brad Katona, who's 12 and 2. Currently, they got it. Are there odds for this fight yet? No, the odds aren't out yet. Okay, well, we both. I assume Katona is going to be favored here. Yeah. I could see anywhere from minus 175 to minus 300. I could, I could see it being anywhere between those. Um, yeah. Yeah. I would say, like, if he's like minus 300, people will bet Gibson. And if he's minus 150, people will bet Katona. And it'll end up in the oh, middle. It just opened minus 150, uh, Katona pl uh, plus 130, um, Gibson. Literally. Yeah. As dude. I Katona's going to take action. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Katona, a guy who attempting to be the first ever man to win the Ultimate Fighter twice. Um, and I mean, listen, on his first thing on the Ultimate Fighter, finished Bryce Mitchell, won a fight against Kyler Phillips, had a competitive fight with Marab in the UFC. Um, it's just not the most exciting fighter, not the most aesthetically pleasing, doesn't have the 
know, the kind of personality that people really gravitate towards. So no one really gave a shit about him. That's why they cut him after one loss. Um, and then uh, Gibson, a guy who, believe it or not, made his UFC debut against Sterling. And to take it a step further, Pepe unanimously won a round against Sterling. It was 29, 28 times three for Sterling. So, and what was cool is that at the time, both of them were school teachers. So, you know how John Anik likes to talk about, well, both these guys are going through custody battles. And in that fight, it was both these guys are school teachers. So it was pretty cool. This, this was a long ass time ago. Um, listen, Cody's just a really tough guy. That's what he is. Cody Gibson's a scrapper. Um, and when he gets that body triangle, that's, I guess, where he does his best work. And on his like regional fights, one thing I liked at, at first was like, Man, I thought he was on his way to winning that Ray Borg fight. I really thought that he was putting it on Ray Borg. That first round and a half, I felt like he was about to run away with it. But one thing that's interesting about Borg, and I don't know what it is, but I've noticed that like Borg like will get his ass whooped for like the first round and a half and then just like take over fights. Like he did that in uh do you remember Gabriel Silva, Eric Silva's brother? Like when they fought, like Gabriel Silva was putting a clinic on him for the first like seven and a half minutes. And then Ray Borg just takes over in a way where you're like, holy shit. And the same thing happened against Cody Gibson. Um, so I kind of like, do you think that that Cody can just kind of make it that dog fight here? Or do you think that Katona is just a little bit, just too much smart, isn't going to, you know, play into any of that and just kind of play it safe and, and do his, you know, normal kind of coasting uh, decision type, you know, type fight. Um, I don't know. I, I think Gibson's live. He's, he's, um he's a lot bigger than him. I just, I worry about obviously, you know, him getting taken down too much and spending too much time on his back, but I mean, I think he's going to be the one doing more damage. He's a lot better on the feet. Um, I don't know about their age. I would have to look into that. But I think they're around the same age. Cody actually might be older. Yeah, uh, uh, Katona's 31 and Gibson's 35. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, and, you know, they they did just come out with that, uh, the new rule for stand-ups. So, you know, maybe there's a situation where Katona has him down and the ref stands him back up and Gibson steals around. Real he's, quick, real quick. Dog. Sorry to, sorry to cut you off. Uh, are, do these rules apply worldwide? Do they apply here in Boston where we are? Is it just in California? Like what's the deal with this new rule stuff? I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to double check. I just, I, I saw the, someone had sent me the the tweet about the rule change regarding stand-ups um i don't know gibson's got a seven inch reach advantage he's also uh four inches taller now granted there's a gift and a curse to that if they stand on the outside beautiful for gibson but you know that the guy that wants to get the takedowns it's actually advantageous to be the shorter man here which is what katona is um i'm gonna lean towards katona i mean i think he should be favored but it's just not gonna surprise me to see a guy like Cody Gibson who has been paying his dues for, I mean, this is about to be his 29th pro fight. And I mean, 30 plus if you include the two ultimate fighter fights, right? So the guy's seasoned, the guy's experienced. And sometimes with these guys like Katona who fight close every fight, sometimes that's going to bite you in the ass, especially with the state of judging today. So, you know, I don't think it's going to be this dominant decision. I just kind of lean towards Katona. You know, I just think he should be favored, but I'm not confident yeah. by any means i would also want to um find out a little more information because i heard somewhere that um gibson had like a, a knee injury while he was on the ultimate fighter but yeah um, meniscus yeah so i 
I, I, I kind of want to do a little more digging to see what the status of that is. Um, but he would interest me at like plus 200 for sure. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got Gerald GM3 Mearshart. He's 35 and 16, taking on Andre Petrovsky, who's 9 and 1. Is he actually 9 1? Why did I think he? I know he lost the battle on tough, but has he actually? Oh, he lost to Aaron Jeffrey. So well, let's go with 9 and 2. Um, currently, they got it Petrovsky minus 215, comeback on Mearshart plus 185. I can't call a Mershar fight to save my life. You know, when I think that he's going to catch a prospect, that's when he gets knocked out in the first round. And when I think that someone's going to destroy him, that's when he goes out there and looks amazing against Bruno Silva. That's when he goes out there and, you know, finishes Mahmoud Muradov. Um, but then again, when I think he's going to easily win, that's when Ian Heinish knocks him out in the first round. So I can't call a Mershar fight to save my life, but I was very impressed with Petrovsky's last fight against Terman. Uh, for like all the talk about him fading in fights, which he has done in the past. You cannot debate that. I mean, going back to the ultimate fighter against battle, that's what happened. Battle was able to get a comeback. And then some of these other fights, man, he's been hanging on by a thread the the longer the fight went. But I was very impressed with that Termon fight. Like I know the first round was kind of, uh, you know, kind of iffy, but man, by that second and third round against Termon and Termon's like a, a good black belt. I felt like there were spots where Petrovsky almost submitted a black belt on that spot. And I felt like, um, he was making strides in terms of building into the fight, uh, progressing into it slower, uh, slowlier and, uh, just, you know, getting better as the fight progresses, what I'm trying to say, basically. So now, does that mean that he can't gas, you know, because, you know, that was only a one fight sample size. I don't know. But bottom line, I feel like he's been getting better, you know, 10 or less pro fights. I say it all the time. You're going to be making these big leaps. So, yeah, I'm picking Petrovsky here. But usually when I pick against Mearshart, that's when he wins. That's when he catches his prospects. So maybe uh, Mearshart, uh, you know, submission late is live. But it's like but that's how it always goes. I pick Mearshart. He gets starched. I pick against him. He upsets the prospect. What do you think? Yeah, and, and your dog just started um, dancing around a little bit what, right when you started uh -huh, breaking uh -huh. the fight down. So it might be a Oscar. What are you saying, man? It might be a GM three uh, spot, but um, the way um, so I played this one with props, um, and I did uh, Petrovsky KO one plus nine hundred, super solid number. Um, Mearshart might be done. You know, he, he's wilted so many times in round one. Petrovsky does have heavy hands. Um, and then I played a little Mearshart round two and round three. Um, just because it's hard to take a money line side on this, you know. Um, Petrovsky's what, like minus 260? You can't really lay heavy. I wouldn't be comfortable laying chalk. He's a, he's a, it's a little shorter than that. Minus yeah. 215, 225. Like he'll, he'll probably win, I would imagine. Um but, yeah, I just, with his history of gassing out, granted, it was, you know, a couple fights back and he's looked better. But, I mean, Sherman's kind of wilty, too. Um, he doesn't, he didn't really put up too much resistance. I wasn't that impressed with how he uh, fought against Petrowski, but maybe I'm not giving him enough credit for the win. But I still think that uh, Mearshar is live to, um, to catch him you know, just to catch him, you know, he's been guillotined multiple times, right? Um, Hermanson guillotined him? No, uh, Petrowski. Uh, yeah, let's see. Aren't uh, both of his losses guillotines? 
So ninja choke against battle, oh. and no, it was knees to ground and pound against. Jeffrey. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. I don't know. I could I could see him getting tired and Mirshar guillotining him late in the fight, but it's not something I want to put a lot of money on. Just just poking around at props. Got you. Next up in the flyweight division, we got Andrea Lee. She's thirteen and seven. I shouldn't roll my tongue on that. Andrea Lee. 13 and 7, taking on Natalia Silva, who's 15 and 5. Currently, they got it. Uh, Natalia Silva minus 330. The comeback on Andrea Lee's plus 270. Um, I've been very impressed with Natalia Silva in her UFC run, man. Like prior to her UFC debut, you know, she was coming off a long layoff, right? She her last fight was like in 2019. Um, took a lot of time off, goes in there at 2022 against Jasmine. And I mean, you know, stuffs all the takedowns. And now Jasmine's a top 15 fighter. Jasmine was a lot bigger than her. Um, I just like everything I've been seeing about her. I like the takedown defense. I like the get-up game. I like the sweeps off her back. And then on the feet, she's hell on wheels, punches and bunches. I've seen spinning kicks, um, head kicks. Uh, she seems like a very bright, uh, bright prospect. And I was actually wrong about her age. For some reason, I don't know why I thought that she was like 34. She's actually only 26. So like... Man, for a 26-year-old to already have 21 pro fights, I think the sky's the limit. And Andrea Lee, very seasoned, been in there with a better level of competition, but um, I do think it's kind of towards the tail end. Do you think Andrea Lee's got one more upset in her, or is it Natalia uh, Natalia Silva season? Um, So, yeah, just, just based on the line, um, I do think there's value on Lee um, just because it is, it is a huge step up in competition for Silva. And I've been a big fan of Natalia Silva. I think she's got an excellent game, but she's, she's small for the weight class. Um, and we did see in uh, her Blada fight, which I bet on Silva big and there was like a ton of, a ton of people were picking Blada and betting Blada against her. And, you know, I stood firm with, with Silva in that spot and, um, and it worked out, but you did see some weaknesses in her game. Like she does have amazing takedown defense, but once you get her down, you can hold her down. And I rate uh, Lee's grappling better than Teresa Blada. Um, so I think, I think Lee can win via grappling and, She's going to have the size advantage. Silva's way faster, so that is probably going to cause her some problems. But she's just way more experienced, a little more savvy. And it, she's like the kind of fighter where once you count them out, they they rise up to the occasion. Like she had a couple losses in a row or whatever, and she was the underdog to Antonina Shevchenko. Not to say Antonina's like great by any means, because we know she's not, but people were doubting her. And she showed up and submitted her in round one and handled her like she was just she was she was a, a a plus EV underdog and you know generally she's not an underdog and we're getting her at a huge number here so I like her not gonna go crazy on it because I know Silva's the real deal but I'm gonna have some money on Lee and the Lee uh, plus three and a half spread because I do think she can steal around. I, I like the three and a half better than the money line. I mean. It doesn't mean I'm right. Um, and also, I'm not that interested in laying a price like that on uh, Natalia when you got much better prices against worse opponents earlier in her career, right? Um, but I do think she's catching Lee at the right time. And I saw Lee fight live once against Montana De La Rosa. Uh, I think it was like in South Carolina, North Carolina, something like that. 
the night that uh, Korean Zombie knocked out Moicano. Um, and like even then, like man, it's not just uh, like Natalia that maybe can get taken down here. Don't be surprised if Lee gets taken down. Like historically speaking, Lee can get taken down. She can get grinded out. And she was giving up some easy takedowns against Montana back then. Um, Roxanne, Roxanne got her down. Roxanne, even. even like the Lauren Murphy fight, which people act like was this big robbery. Like it should not be that close against someone that's like forty years old. Like, so I do kind of think that. Look in the Macy fight, you know. I think that was more due to Macy getting a little over aggressive at times and kind of not showing any respect to Andrea Lee. Um, but I also did think that Macy landed the more damage when they were standing. Um, I think that Natalia, I think she's going to rise to the occasion on this one. I say that she's a minus fucking three something favorite, but I, just rise to the occasion in terms of beating the the highest level fighter she's ever fought. Well, I say that she fought Marina Rodriguez back on the regionals, but it wasn't the Marina Rodriguez that's currently ranked in the top 10. And um, Marina's a 115er and she, she beat her uh, pretty easy. Um, yeah. And, um, but you notice a theme in a lot of uh, Andrea Lee's fights is, they're usually all close. So, you yeah. know, give me the plus 285. And I mean, the, the plus three and a half bet is plus money, too. So I think that's solid. Now, I see what you're saying, uh, but I'm going opposite side. I'm going with the upside, uh, the a- athleticism, the explosion, uh, the confidence. I, I said explosion, explosiveness, the confidence and the momentum of uh, Natalia Silva. I'm going to take her to win this one. And next up in the flyweight division, we got Marina Moreau. She's 11 and four, taking on Karini Silva, who's 16 and four. Currently, they got it. Karini Silva minus 140. The comeback on Marina Moreau's is plus 120. So, uh, this is actually a rematch from 2014. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, Marina Moreau submitted Karini Silva with an armbar back then. That's neither here nor there. Both fighters have evolved, evolved tremendously since then. Um, and I even cashed on Marina Moroz against uh, Mayra Bueno Silva, you know, a few years back. And let me tell you what, man, I, if I had to look you in the eye with a straight face and tell you that I wasn't sweating my balls off during that fight, because every stand-up exchange, I was like, <laughs> like, oh my god, like. But it was finally like uh, Marina taking her down and kind of, you know, neutralizing her a little bit. But man, towards the end of that fight, those calf kicks were adding up, and. Yeah, it was getting pretty sketchy, but this is a different matchup. Karini is kind of like one of these opportunistic submission finishers, and dude, she's been fucking impressive to me, man. I mean, like that last fight with that, what, Z-Lock or whatever the hell that shit was, it was like, I never even heard of that shit before, and I train jiu-jitsu every day. It's like half knee bar, half like uh, heel hook or something like that. It was very, very advanced. You got a dart choke to fight prior, a guillotine prior to that, arm bars, heel hooks. Like, she is a potent finisher. The issue is she's never won a decision in her life, like, literally. Um, which is wh- well, what's impressive is that she's had 20 pro fights, and only one of those 20 pro fights, Pepe, has gone a decision. For that to be the case in the women's divisions, uh, let alone at Flyweight. Yeah, you love to see it. You fucking love to see it, right? Uh, so it's just about. Do you think that Marina Moroz is operating on like because I thought that ever since she moved up the flyweight, I thought was a great move. Like the weight cuts were just like her, just, you just saw her body at straw weight. She was just way too skinny and 
just wasn't reacting good to punches, was giving up easy takedowns. And then that fight against Sabina Mazo was a huge step in the right direction when she moved up the weight class. Then against Mayra Bueno Silva, it's like, okay, now you got some momentum. And then she took two years off. Early going against Agapova was a bit sketch, but she was able to do her thing down the stretch. And then Jennifer Maya kind of, you know, put, put a little bit of a, a clinic on her. Is there, you know, do you think that she's still as hungry now with the OnlyFans shit going on? I know that's narrative speaking and whatever, but is she as hungry? Because Karini Silva is hungry, but more importantly, stylistically speaking, like, what happens if this fight doesn't hit the mat? Does that mean that Marina's going to just outpoint her for three straight rounds? Like, do you kind of see it like that? Or do you think there's going to be opportunities on the mat for Karini to show off her very advanced submission game? Well, I'm, I I do I rate um Rose's submission defense pretty pretty darn high. Like I don't I don't think she's gonna I don't think Silva's just gonna run through her like that. And as far as um like motivation levels, I don't think that she would be like um uh what's that girl's name? like Juliana Miller type situation. <laughs> well Juliana Miller's like three and three is a pro, so we cannot <laughs> we can't compare them. Yeah, but um like I just I think she has too much pride in herself and uh, her work ethic to you know really let that kind of stuff affect her performance. Like basically, what I'm saying is she's going to give a hundred percent effort. She's she's kind of she's a she's a savage. You know, she's never been finished uh, professionally. Um, she's not a quitter whatsoever. Um, but I'm not really sure how I see the fight playing out. To be honest. Um, I I did bet the over two and a half, um, just because I don't I don't really see Moreau's finishing Silva, and you know a lot of people are betting on Moreau's, and I don't necessarily want to uh, like hop on like a mush bet <laughs> because it seems like everyone and their mom is playing Moreau's this week, and I get it, you know she's been profitable um, as an underdog professional in her UFC career, but. I don't know. I like this Silva chick, um, but I don't necessarily see her finishing Moreau's. So I think the under or the over two and a half is a pretty solid, solid spot. It's like around even money. I'm, I'm going to go Karini Silva here. Look, uh, Marina Moreau's has been taken down 10 times in her UFC career. 47% takedown defense. Now, I have to, you know, I can't just give one sided information. All those takedowns were landed when she was at straw weight, cutting too much weight. She has not been taken out once at fly. Yeah, her her physique is completely different. Yeah, right now, exactly. Um, so you you know you have to give context, of course. But that being said, that doesn't mean that she necessarily won't get taken down here. And one thing I like about Karini is that after that cont uh, contender series fight, she has been coming out here in the UFC and landing takedowns in both of her fights. And those submissions were very very high level. Uh, I'm going Karini Silva here. I'm going against all the public steam, and um, I think that she's gonna, she's got to be hungry as fuck to avenge that loss. I you think? Uh, you think she's gonna get give uh, Marina her first, uh, her first uh, submission loss? I'm gonna predict it. I mean, I'm not mm. confident, but I'm gonna predict it. I'm gonna say something very impressive that uh, we're not expecting is gonna happen here, and I think Karini Silva takes her down and gets her with something along the way. Uh, hopefully. I'm just yeah, I'm I'm a little worried because you know I um we've I've in the uh, her in Silva's decision loss she she played off her back a lot and you know she's 
she goes for like some high risk submissions that she's going to lose position with that could sure. lead to like her, you know, losing minutes, uh, losing the round. So that's why it's not, that's why I'm not very confident, but um, I could, I could, she definitely seems a lot stronger now. I could definitely see her taking Moreau's down and getting top time. I just don't really know how she's going to play it once she gets there. Yeah. No, I got you. But so what's your official pick? I'll take Silva by decision. Okay. I'll take Silva by sub. Uh, uh, this would be a, if you're right, it'll be uh Silva's first ever decision win. And if I'm right, it'll be Moroz's first ever finish loss. So Yo, you can do the Silva Silva parlay. Uh, <laughs> if you like, if you like both Silvas. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Cause it's the, the other Silva's line ain't exactly like too much value on it. Um, even though I think she's going to win, it's just, you know, I need the value to be there, but you know, maybe for, maybe for shits and giggles, you know, let's see how many drinks I've had on the night. But, uh, Hey, before we get out of here, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So in your opinion, Pepe for UFC 292, besides the main event, what is the fight to watch? Hold on, hold on. Get back to me. I didn't have that. That's fine. All right. So for me, my fight to watch is Mario Bautista versus Damon Blackshear, man. I mean, I think that both these guys, like, listen, they're on the cusp of the top 15. I know Damon wasn't a week ago, but he gets a win over Mario Bautista, and then he's absolutely on the cusp of the top 15. And Bautista was already on the cusp prior to taking this fight against Blackshear. Not to mention, these guys go after it. Blackshear, only twister submission in UFC. or third uh twister submission in usc history F a fight prior you know swims through the knee bar attempts against a very high level black belt uh black belt pounds him out prior to that had a great fight against a talented prospect in basharat and the kid's paying his dues you know and then bautista man they've given him some soft competition but he's treated them like soft competition and that's why they were going to award him with uh that cody no love fight so now you got two hungry prospects that desperately want to get into the top 15s that have been paying their dues and for that reason pepe bautista versus blackshear is my fight to watch okay so mine will i'll go with um cheeto versus munoz just because of the division implications that it has like we're talking potential title shot for cheeto if he wins and and o'malley wins i heard them talking about that like this and if munoz wins like he's he's a fight or two away from you know a contender shot too so just because of the implications just because of how badass they are i'm going that as my fight to watch and my fighter to watch look i understand he's a minus 500 favorite i'm gonna go with ian gary because I want to see if he's going to fall into that same goddamn trap that all these other guys do for whatever reason. They feel the need to abandon their game plans and go clinch with Neil Magny. Then they drain themselves out, and then he Neil Magny does what Neil Magny does. And Ian Gary is way less experienced than, let, than Magny, let alone the guys that Magny's been beating. So, But I think that there's something special about Gary, and I've been saying it for a long time, and he gets this win. I mean, we're looking at top 10 opponents and we're looking at, you know, a star in the making. So for that reason, Ian Machado Gary is my fighter to watch. Um, I'll go with uh, Natalia Silva then. If, yes, she beat, if she beats Andrea Lee, she's certainly ranked and um, is on her way to, you know, breaking into the top 10. I think this is, I think Andrea Lee is one of the harder gatekeepers of the ranking. So this would be a massive win for her. 
Yes, sir. Pepe, appreciate you stepping up on short notice. Fantastic job. All the fans, they can follow him at Pepe underscore Sylvia 716 on Twitter. Uh, front runner for MMA handicapper of the year in 2023. So just keep it up. And uh, I think, uh, you know, you know, the, the fan voting, uh, you know, is saying that you're like, you're like a 90 plus percent favorite to, to win that right now. You're the MVP candidate. So I'm sure but, there's going to be some late steam on a different capper once uh, by the end of the year, but I appreciate that, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. My pleasure. Make sure you follow him for all the fans. Thank you so much for all your support. Also make sure y'all follow Cody Durden. I'm sure you guys already do follow Cody, but if you don't follow him, as y'all can see, super cool guy. Um, and then, Please hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. If you're not subscribed, leave me a comment when this is done. If you feel so inclined, share. And uh, everybody, good luck this weekend. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.